It's good to see everybody out this morning, especially Brenda Kilburn. It's good to see her out this morning. Uh, you know, she's uh, gone through some uh, surgery, and we're just thankful that she's back. Others that we know that are on our sick list, uh, we need to continue to remember them in our prayers. Several are uh, dealing with some serious uh, situations in their life, and so just uh, continue to remember them in your prayers. But we're glad you're here today. And hopefully you'll be back tonight, Lord willing, and every time we have the doors open. Most people believe that when they die that they're going to go to heaven. And I believe that that hope is brought about by some comforting words from preachers and rabbis and priests that, that try to comfort people into thinking that their loved one is in a safe condition when they pass from this life. And I'm certainly no gatekeeper to heaven, but I also realize that God has given us some warnings and tells us what we need to do in order to be prepared for that day and what we need to do in order to enter heaven. And so I think that it's important that we look at God's Word to try to understand what God expects out of us if we're going to go to heaven. Because Jesus tells us very plainly in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 through 14, that few, not many, few will be saved. And so we need to understand that it's not our good works that's going to save us. It's the blood of Christ that saves us. It's God's grace that He's extended to us, and through our faith and obedience to His will, we can have that salvation. We can have a home in heaven. And so we need to understand who will enter into the kingdom of heaven. And that's the question that I want to deal with uh, this morning as we look at our subject. But before considering that question, I think that it's a good opportunity to answer the question of uh, what is the kingdom of heaven? Well, I think that the Bible plainly shows us in a few different verses, like in Matthew chapter 7, or 4 and verse uh, 17, and in Mark chapter 1 and verse 14, that the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God are the same. And so as we look at those verses, it tells us in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, And from that time Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then over in Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, again, it says, Now after John was put to, in prison, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying the time is fulfilled that the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. And so I believe Jesus is using those terms interchangeably, meaning the same, that the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven are the same. And so the term kingdom of heaven has reference to God's rule and His kingship uh, from heaven. That He is there, He is in, in, in power, and that we need to obey His commands if we want to make heaven our home. Because that term, the kingdom of heaven, reads first to His, his kingship. And the kingdom of heaven is, is focused upon Jesus Christ Himself. And as we see from passages of the Scripture, that that kingdom is of a spiritual nature. It's not something that we're going to see set up here on this earth in the sense that Jesus is going to come down and rule and reign on this earth. He is ruling and reigning right now at the right hand of God. And so we need to understand that. In John chapter 18, verse 36, it says, Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight? that I should not be delivered to the Jews, but now is my kingdom from, th from hence. 
So Jesus is telling us that His kingdom isn't a physical kingdom, but it is a spiritual kingdom. And we also see that it began with, uh, when all authority had been given to Him. As it tells us in Matthew chapter 28 and verse 18, And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto Me, and in heaven and on earth. And so Jesus is in, in power now. He's ruling and reigning over that kingdom right now, the church. And Ephesians chapter 1, verses 20 through 23, it says, "...which He wrought in Christ when He raised Him up from the dead and set Him on His own right hand in heavenly places." Far above all principalities and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. And hath put all things under His feet and gave Him to be head over all things to the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him that filleth all in all. So the church is part of that kingdom, and that's what we need to understand, that we need to be in His church if we want to be saved in the hereafter. Today, it would include that church that, that we see. We see it on earth right now because we're here today, because we're part of that church. Many of us that have been baptized into Christ have been added to that church, and we see that we're part of that uh, establishment that Jesus said that He would build in, in Matthew the 16th chapter. And so in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 13, we kind of get a hint of what takes place because it tells us there, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of His dear Son. So when we were outside of Christ, before we became a Christian, the Bible tells us here that we were in darkness. When we obeyed that gospel, we were taken out of that kingdom and placed in, in that kingdom of light, that kingdom of heaven, the church. And so we're added to that church daily, as the Bible tells us in Acts chapter 2 and verse 47. In Revelation chapter 1 and verse 9, John referred to himself as being in the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And so we want to be in that kingdom. And so we want to enter that kingdom. We want to be a part of that kingdom. Because outside of that church, we see that there's no salvation mentioned in the Bible where people are going to be saved in the New Testament. And so in the future, we need to understand that that church involved, or that kingdom involves a new heaven and a new earth where we will be with God forever. Peter tells us in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 10 through 13, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with a fervent heat, and the earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of person ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hastening unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens shall be on, being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat? Nevertheless, we, according to His promise, look for a new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness." So Peter here is telling us that this world that we live on today is going to be dissolved. It's going to be burned up. Now for some, that's hard for them to imagine or even believe that it's going to take place. But the Bible here plainly tells us that that's the plan. And so we look for a new heaven. You know, Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again that where I am, there you may be also. So Jesus is telling us that there's a place prepared for us. And I believe that's what Peter is referring to when he talks about that new heaven and that new earth. 
We can see a description of the words that are used to describe that place in Revelation chapter 21 through chapter 22. We see their words and a description that's hard for our minds to even imagine. And I know that those words there that are used in Revelation are figurative and symbolic. But I also understand that if it takes those kind of words to describe to us what heaven will be like, I don't know about you, but that's a place I want to go to. Because I can't even imagine, when I look at some of the beauties of nature that God's created, I can only imagine how beautiful heaven must be. I want to go there, and I hope you want to go there, but it's not going to, we're not going to get there just because we want to go. We have to do what God tells us to do. We have to want to do His will. That's our desire. That's our goal. I can't go doing whatever I want to do and then tell God, you've got to give me heaven. And so we see a picture in various passages of Scripture. In Revelation, it gets very detailed of what it's going to be looking or what it's going to look like. And we can see that the kingdom of heaven was inaugurated on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. When Peter stood up with the other apostles and he preached the gospel message and they heard what they had done, they were convicted by the Holy Spirit. When they heard that message, they cried out, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter answered them and said, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sin and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. If they wanted to have their sins washed away, if they wanted their sin to be removed, then they had to repent and to be baptized. Obviously, they already believed in the message that Peter was preaching. That Jesus had died for their sins, that He was buried, and that He arose victorious over the grave. Because He told them that by wicked hands they had crucified the Christ. That's the Messiah. That's the Savior. They crucified Him. They must have believed that message because that's when they said, men and brethren, what shall we do? And we know that Peter continued to preach and there was about 3,000 souls on that day that were baptized into Christ. And it's in Acts chapter 2 and verse 47 where we see that the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. And that's the first reference that we see where the church was established. Back in Matthew, Jesus said, I will build, which means it's in the future. In Acts chapter 2, they were added to that church. And so that's something that's very, very important. Because we see that that kingdom will be culminated or come to pass when the Lord returns and delivers it back to God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning in verse 23, it says, But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the firstfruits of them that sleep. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so even in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterwards they that are Christ at His coming. Then cometh the end, when He shall have delivered up the kingdom of God, even the Father, when He shall have put, put down all rule and all authority and power. And he must reign till he hath put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. For he hath put all things under his feet. But when he saith all things are put under him, it is manifest that he is accepted, which did put all things under him. And when all things shall be subdued unto him, then shall the Son of Man, then shall the Son also himself be subject unto him that put all things under him, that God may be all in all. 
Jesus is going to defeat all of those uh, enemies that he has. Eventually, Satan will be destroyed. He'll be defeated. And he'll be cast in that eternal pit forever. And we need to understand that that kingdom that we're talking about in this text that we're looking at from Matthew is in the future. And so we're going to have that home in heaven if we're faithful to God. That's something that is very important in our lives. And so when we talk about the kingdom, we need to understand that that's what Peter, Jesus is talking about here in Matthew chapter 21, or chapter 7, verse 21, when he says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven, and many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Here we see that Jesus is talking about somewhere out into the future. Because he refers to it as in that day in verse 22. And that's an apparent reference to the day of judgment. That day is out there somewhere into the future. The Bible tells us that it's appointed unto man wants to die, but after this the judgment. We know that someday there's going to be a judgment day. And we're going to give an account of our lives. And I believe that that's what he's referring to in that day, that that refers to the judgment day. Because look at some other passages of Scripture. Paul tells us in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12, For the which cause I also suffer these things, nevertheless I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Well, what day is he referring to? I believe it's the day of judgment once again. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 18, The Lord granted to him that he may find mercy of the Lord in that day. And in how many things he ministered unto me at Ephesus, thou knowest very well. Again, referring to that day. Well, what's that day? I want God to grant me mercy on that day. That's what Paul is telling Timothy. Well, I want God to grant me mercy on that day. That day is the day of judgment. We can see again in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8, where Paul says, Henceforth is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord the righteous judge shall give me at that day. And not to me only, but unto all them also that love His appearance. His appearing. So here we see Paul the confidence that he has that in that day there's a crown of life laid up for him. The day of judgment, he's going to receive that reward. And that's what Jesus is referring to, talking about there in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 21 when he says in that day. He's talking about out there in the future. And thus Jesus is telling us what's going to happen in the future. So the question is, who will enter the kingdom of heaven? Not everyone that professes Jesus will enter the, 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 the kingdom of heaven. There are some who teach that as long as one believes in Jesus, they will be saved. And they base that on various scriptures that talk about our belief in Christ, that we need to believe that He is the Son of God. Certainly that is important, and I would never ignore those passages of the Scripture. But on the same hand, there's other passages of Scripture that tells us that we have to confess His name. There's other passages of Scripture that tells us that we must repent. 
And most denominations that are out there agree up to that point. But the Bible says that we must be baptized for the remission of sin. And so that's important. Our salvation is not based upon faith only. Even though the only time faith is only is mentioned in the Scripture, listen to what it says. In James chapter 2 and verse 24, "...ye see then how that by works a man is justified, and not by faith only." That's the only reference to in the New Testament where we see faith only mentioned. Certainly faith is something important. The Bible tells us that without faith it is impossible to please Him. For he that cometh to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. So faith is something that is important, but the kind of faith that we see in the New Testament is a faith that causes you or motivates you or moves you to do what the Bible says you must do. We can look in the book of Hebrews chapter 11 and we can see several individuals that were moved by faith. One that comes to mind is Noah. When Noah was told what to do in order to be saved from the impending flood, he was told to build an ark. And by faith, he moved. He did those things. He had faith in what God told him about building the ark, and he did it. And the Bible says, Thus did Noah, according to all that God commanded him, so did he. Would it have been enough just to know, for Noah to sit back and say, God, I know you've given me a plan, and I know, and I have faith in it. I know it'll work. Now I'm going to sit over here and just do nothing. He wouldn't have, got a, he wouldn't have been saved. We wouldn't be here today if Noah was not moved by faith. Faith only is not going to save us. We have to have faith that causes us to do what God tells us to do. There is no such thing as an unsaved believer. You see, the demons also believed. We need to remember that. And they trembled, the Bible says, but yet they were not saved. And you can read that in James chapter 2 and verse 19. They believed to the point where they were, it seems that they were frightened. Why would they tremble? Because they were afraid. But yet it didn't cause them to change. And there are people today that believe but they're not going to do what the Lord says do. Do you love the Lord? Well, yes, I love the Lord. Then why don't you do this? Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. So if I'm not keeping His Word, if I'm not doing what He's told me to do, can I honestly say that I love the Lord? Can anyone really say that they love the Lord if they're not going to obey Him and do what He said we must do in order to be saved? You see, there were some who believed in Jesus, but they remained unsaved. In John chapter 12, beginning at verse 42, Nevertheless, among the chief rulers also many believed on Him. Those are words, that phrase is used in other passages of Scripture that tells us to believe on Him. But listen to what it says. Nevertheless, among the chief rulers also many believed on Him, but because of the Pharisees they did not confess Him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue, for they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. They believed in Jesus. They believed on Him. Obviously, He must have done something that convinced them 
that he was the Son of God, but they wouldn't confess him. Doesn't that prove to us that there's more to than just saying, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Isn't there something else that we have to do that I can't just have that in my heart and say, that's it. All i got to do is just have faith in Him? They believed. But they wouldn't acknowledge it. Jesus describes a true disciple as one who not only believes in Him, but does what He says. In John chapter 8, verse 30, beginning, it says, And He spake these words, Many believed on Him. Then said Jesus unto those Jews which believed on Him, If ye continue in My word, then ye are My disciples indeed, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. What's Jesus saying? If you believe in Him, then you need to continue trusting Him and obeying Him. That's what you need to do in order to make it to heaven. It's not your own uh, great works that you may do. It's doing what the Lord has told you to do. And what He's told us in His Word that we must do in order to be saved. So let no one think that just because they believe in Jesus that they have a free ticket to heaven. Because that's just not the way it works. Jesus also says not everyone who does many wonderful or good works is going to make it to heaven. Verse 22 of Matthew chapter 7, Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in Thy name, and in Thy name cast out devils, and in Thy name done many wonderful works? Here were people who not only believed in Jesus, but believed that they had prophesied in His name, that they had cast out devils, and that they had done many wonderful things, many wonderful works in His name. And those works or those good works would not and cannot earn them heaven. And that's what we need to understand also, that I cannot do enough to tell God that He has to give me a home in heaven. I cannot do enough to tell Jesus on the day of judgment that look at all of these things that I've done. You've, you, I've earned heaven. You have to give it to me. Because Jesus says when you've done all that is your duty to do, you're still an unprofitable servant. Think about that. What's He saying? You still need My blood. You still need Me in order to be saved. Isn't that amazing when you look at it and you look at the overall picture? Jesus wants us to realize that we need Him in order to be saved. I can't save myself without Jesus. I need Jesus in my life. Good works certainly are good, but they're not going to earn their way to heaven. And indeed, salvation is by grace through faith and it's not earned by the works that we do certainly we are expected to do things for Christ to work but those works are not going to buy us heaven the Bible tells us in Titus chapter 3 verses 3 through 7 for we ourselves also were sometimes foolish disobedient deceived serving divers lust and pleasures living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. 
But after that, the kindness of the love of God, our Savior, toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which He shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified by His grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Brethren, we're saved because of God's goodness, because of His grace. He's made a, a plan available to you and to me and all of mankind so that we can have our sins washed away. Those sins that separate us from God. That's the love that God has for us. The question is, when we read that plan in God's Word, when we see what He expects us to do, do we have faith in it? Do we have faith in what Jesus says? You see, people say they have trust and faith in, in Jesus as the Son of God, but yet they reject His words. They don't do what He said. Jesus asked the question, Why call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things that I say? If Jesus is the Lord of your life, then you need to be obedient to His will. That's just the, the simple uh, gist of it, is that we need to be obedient to our Lord. You see, good works, as we see there in Titus, had not saved, saved them. And when we read in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 10, we can find where good works did not save Cornelius. Look at the description that you read there in chapter 10 of Cornelius. Cornelius was a devout man, a man that feared God, a man who gave much alms, a man who prayed often. All good things. But guess what? He had to sin for Peter who would tell him what he needed to do. And we know that eventually Cornelius was baptized into Christ. Why? Because we need the blood of Christ in order to be saved. You need it, I need it, and anyone that wants to go to heaven needs it. And so we understand that good works is not going to save us. And baptism is good. But people will say, I don't have to do that because that's a work. It is a command from God if you want to be saved. It's just that simple. You see, indeed, sometimes we may think it's a good work that someone is involved with or wants to do. But if we don't find authority for it in the Scripture, it's not a good work. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 23, And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. These individuals were doing good, something good, or they thought it was. But it wasn't what the Lord wanted them to do. And brother, that's what we need to understand. Jesus is going to be the gatekeeper that day, not St. Peter, not me, not someone else. Jesus is the one that's going to be judging us. And we need to be prepared for that day based on what He's told us. Not what some preacher or priest or pastor or rabbi or someone else has said. It's what our Lord has said that we must do. <clears throat> so who then will be saved? The Bible tells us only those who do the will of the Father. Jesus said, 
He that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. So do you want to go to heaven? Then we have to do the Father's will. That's the dividing line. <clears throat> those who do the Father's will and those who do not. They may argue, you know, you may be in that not group, and you may argue about all the good things that you've given up, all the good things that you've done, all the sacrifices that you've made, but if you're not doing it based on what the Lord has told you to do, then you're not going to be saved. Amen. That's what Jesus says. James chapter 1, verse 22 through 25, Be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whosoever, but whoso looketh in the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forget, forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deeds. You read all these passages of Scripture, but yet I'll hear preachers that will say, you don't have to do a thing. All you got to do is believe in Jesus. The Bible tells us that there's things that we have to do. Jesus says there's things that we have to do. And it's just that simple. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. For by grace ye are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. God's grace is that plan that he's given us so that you and I can be saved. He said that we have to believe on, the, on Jesus. We need to believe that He is the Son of God. He tells us that we have to make that confession before men. Matthew chapter 10, verse 32. He tells us that we have to repent of our sins. Luke 13, verses 3 and 5. And various other passages of Scripture. And He tells us that he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Mark 16, 15 and 16. And so we need to understand that that's what Jesus says we need to do in order to be saved. That's the grace of God. Here's what you need to do. By faith, we accept that. Because you see, before we do any of that, that is preceded by the teachings of the gospel of Christ. Because Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. That gospel message is the fact that Jesus died for our sins and was buried and that He rose victorious over the grave. That's an important message. That's what was preached on the day of Pentecost. That was what was preached in all the examples that we see in the book of Acts where sermons were preached and people were saved. That's what we need to do today. That's what you need to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. But that moves you to repent and it moves you to confess and it moves you to be buried with Him in baptism and it moves you to live a faithful life in service to Him. So yes, His grace saves us. It's His goodness that extends that plan and it's our faith that accepts that plan and moves us to be obedient. But notice what it says. We're not saved by works of man lest any man should boast. We're not saved by those works. We're saved by the blood of Christ. But look at what it says in verse 10. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, unto what? Good works. 
He wants us to do things that are right by His authority. Things that His Word shows us that we are to do. Is that legalism? You know, sometimes when we say you need to do exactly what the Bible says we need to do, people will argue that that's liberalism or legalism. No, legalism is a is salvation by perfect law keeping, believing that one earns salvation. We're not going to earn it. We need the blood of Christ, and salvation by grace does not preclude obedience. Because God has given us a plan so that you and I could be saved does not mean that we have no responsibilities in living that Christian life. There are things that God wants us to do. As I said not too long ago, we are His hands, we are His feet, we're His mouthpiece. He told us to go into the world. Imagine the confidence that God has in you and me to take that gospel message out into the world and teach it and to live it so people will be drawn to our Lord. You see, only those who obey from the heart will be delivered from sin. As Romans chapter 6, verses 17 and 18 says, But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. We've obeyed from the heart. Does that mean the actions aren't important? When we obey from the heart, it involves actions. Because when we obey, we're going to do. We're motivated by our love for our Lord. We see how much He's loved us. We love Him in return, and we do His will. If you love me, keep my commandments. Those are the words of Jesus. He didn't say, if you love me, you know, do some of the things I suggest. He said, if you love me, keep my commandments. And I don't know about you, but Mark 16, 15, and 16, Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20, sound like commands to me. But those are the things that we need to do in order to get in the right road to be added into that kingdom. And if we want that future home in heaven, we must remain faithful to our Lord. You see, Christ is the author of eternal salvation. Because the Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 9, And being made perfect, He became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey Him. Somebody asked me one time at the door, You're telling me that I have to obey the Lord? That just seems obvious to me. The Bible is there for a reason. God's Word is there for a reason. Yes, I'm saved by His grace. Through my faith in that Word, through that, my faith in that plan, and through my obedience to the plan that He's given, that faith moved me. And I hope it moves you to do our Father's will. And so, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 is, a little, is of little comfort to those who have not obeyed the gospel. Because it tells us in Second Thessalonians chapter one, beginning in verse seven, unto you who are troubled, rest with us, 
When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with His mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God, and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. What's He telling us? He's telling us that we need to know God and that we need to obey the gospel. Have you obeyed the gospel? You see, the question is, who will enter the kingdom of heaven? Not those who profess to believe and fail to obey. Not those who think that they're doing many religious things or righteous things and without authority. Only those who do the Father's will will have that home in heaven. And that's why we must Look at that statement that Jesus makes or has told us. And look at the statement that He made earlier in that Sermon on the Mount. When He said in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Think of all the spiritual blessings that we have in Christ. The question is, are you in Christ? The Lord returned this very moment. If He returned today, would you have a home in heaven with Him? Or would you be lost for eternity? We've already said what one needs to do in order to be saved. And this morning you have that opportunity. And if you have not been faithful, we would encourage you to make things right in your life. And you have that opportunity. to Come and have a seat up here on the front row. Together we stand and sing.